Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Our Athletes. Hello, and I am Michael Raziel. I get to interview athletes on their story and path to the games. Today, we have Olympic athlete Emery Lehman. He goes into how he got into speed skating, what he's been doing since he's been there, and how his life has changed since. So Emery is a really cool dude. He's done a lot in his life. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Obviously, there's inspiration. Obviously, there's perservation, not perspiration. I'm sure there's a little bit of that too. But Emery is a, a really great guy wonderful life growing up his mom is just an incredible person so let's shout out miss lehman right now but other than that guys i mean just enjoy the episode listen to what he has to say hopefully you can take a little bit from it learn what he's done and maybe how you could do it too but other than that hope you guys have a wonderful episode all right today another special guest two-time olympian emery lehman he's of usa speed skating emery was born june 13th 1996 in the windy city started playing hockey at the age of six and actually took up speed skating at nine to improve his hockey skills emery is a hockey guy it is confirmed uh he won the national he started winning national events at age 12 at age 14 he won his first u.s junior title and at 15 he ended up winning four junior national titles um emery won the senior 2012 2013 national championships as a senior in high school he won the olympic trials um which is crazy impressive for the 10k and took second in the 5k and emory as i said is a two-time olympian he went to the 2014 games in sochi the 2018 games in pyeongchang so emory thanks for hanging out with us today we appreciate it man yeah thank you for having me no problem no problem at all um so if you don't mind uh obviously your life has pretty been pretty jam-packed and that was only what like maybe a 45 second intro so if you could give us a little story time tell us some of the stuff that you've been through and uh, explain a little bit more of those uh the intricate details of what you've been going on yeah so uh so i started uh play i started skating at a very young age just because my mom always wanted in case my brother and i ever took a girl on a date to the skating rink they didn't want us embarrassing ourselves wow so that was kind of the reason yeah that was kind of the reason that my parents wanted us to learn how to skate in the beginning so my brother who has never played an ice sport in his life is actually a pretty good skater just Mm -hmm. you know in case he ever takes his girlfriend on a date skating so i love that so i'm sorry i i need to stop and have to ask a couple questions of this right now so thanks to your mom shout out her (laughs) phenomenal um is taking girls on dates to ice rinks in Chicago that uh, well-known or wherever, you know, you were growing up at the time, is it that prominent that your mom's like, Um, I don't think so. I think it was just, (laughs) you know, like a Jewish mother just planning ahead, you know, Uh planning our futures and I don't know, maybe it was a thing in the, you know, late nineties and Uh my parents saw it and they were like, well, we better repair these guys for that. And would you look at that? It worked, man. It worked. So I'm sorry for interrupting, but that was just no, no, no. I, had to, I had to ask that question. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. And I actually only got to ever take one girl, I think, on a skating date. And that's my current girlfriend. So at, at least <laughs> so it comes full t- circle, I guess. Yeah, 22 years later, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's why my parents kind of got me into skating. And then, of course, um, immediately I was like, well, I want to play hockey. And so I started playing hockey and, um, well, actually learned how to skate and then I played hockey, which kind of gave me a foot up on a lot of, uh, or a leg up on a lot of the other kids on the team. Cause a lot of kids in there that young, just kind of just want to play hockey and they don't really learn how to skate. You know, it's like, uh, it's trying to like ride a bike without learning how to balance off a bike first. Yeah, you know, there's 100%. one thing, one thing goes into the other. So I learned how to skate. Then I learned, you know, how to play hockey. And then kind of from there, you know, my mom saw a flyer at a Franklin Park at a, a speed skating club where I ended up skating and uh, saw a flyer and thought, you know, well, 
might as well, you know, you know how to skate, you might as well learn how to skate faster. And so that's kind of where it went from that. I was always like a little ball of energy. So she figured, you know, I might as well use that in hockey. And so might as well learn how to skate better. Um, so yeah, I started, uh, speed skating, short track speed skating, um, which is just on the hockey rink. I do, I went to the Olympics for long track, which is on the 400 meter oval. Um, but yeah, so I started, started doing short track in like fourth grade. Um, and then we, uh, we, you know, I, uh, at first I was doing really well and winning a lot of local competitions. And then I kind of got my ass kicked at nationals and that was a big wake up call. Um, and so from there I was kind of like, you know, I knew who my competitors were. I knew what they were doing. I knew what I had to do. And so we kind of all, uh, moved forward from there. Um, I think the next step was, you know, I did, I had some really good coaches. I went out to the East coast in the summers for camps. Um, I lived at, uh, a skater's house or two skaters, the Kruger brothers house out in Pittsburgh and their mom put up like, you know, 20 kids at one point, you know, all in her house. And there was just like bunk beds all over the basement. And, you know, I was just nonstop, you know, training, train, sleep, eat. And we were only 14, 13 years old at the time. So that was, that was probably the biggest wake up call for skating was realizing how hard those guys trained. John Henry actually just won a medal for the U S in short track this past Olympics. Um, but, uh, so then after that, then I got, I got to high school and I started competing a little more. I started to realize that long track might be the way to go. Um, so my, my schedule in high school is, was actually pretty crazy. I actually don't even know how, you know, looking back on it, how someone could do that. Mainly my mom, not even me. But uh, so I would, in high school, I got a private coach for long track speed skating. I didn't have a private coach for short track, but I had a coach who really liked me. And then I was also playing high school hockey at Oak Park River Forest High School. So I was skating like twice a day, seven days a week. And I would do, you know, Mondays I would drive up from Oak Park, Illinois, an hour and 45 minutes up to the Pettit Center. I'd skate up here and I'd drive back down to Illinois and and then I'd do short track. And then I think Tuesdays I'd short track and hockey long track or Wednesdays I'd long track and hockey Thursdays I did short track and hockey and then Fridays and Saturdays were just speed skating races and hockey games all weekend for me um and my bro- my mom did of course all the driving and nice. I, I napped on the way up I did homework and I ate dinner on the way home and so she really you know not only put me on the path by making me learn how to skate but then also really just her and my dad did nothing but, you know, support me and drive me and do everything that I needed to do to prepare myself to, you know, if I eventually wanted to try and compete for an Olympic spot, that they would support me in that. So they definitely set it up very, very well for me. That is, um, that is incredible, dude. Your mom is an absolute saint. I mean, what do you get her for Christmas every year? It must be just like... You must it's out. I'm assuming, right? Of course. Yeah. No. Yeah. We. She is the best. She. I mean, not even only for me. Like that was just for me. And then on the whole other side yeah. of the spectrum, my brother played tennis and soccer, which uh, you're not. I don't know if you're in Illinois. Like a lot of the best tennis is out farther in the suburbs, and Oak Park's very close to the city. So you know, not only did I, she had to drive me up to Milwaukee, but you know, up until my brother got his license, you know, she was driving him all the way. You know half hour, 45 minutes to tennis practice. So 
it was a lot, it was crazy because he played tennis at a very high level and he played in college and he played soccer at a high level and I played hockey at a high level. So there's a lot of traveling for her. She was amazing. And, uh, we always tell her that, you know, you get all your, uh, athletic ability from your mom's side. So I guess, uh, we have only her to thank. <laughs> very nice. That is pretty sweet, man. So, I mean, in high school, you ended up going to the Olympics, correct? You were 17. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my senior year, that was my senior year. I was 17. Um, you know, going into that year, I, the previous year I'd qualified for world championships and, uh, everyone has this min- misconception, not really a misconception. No one just, no one pays attention to speed skating on non-Olympic years. Um, but it's actually harder to qualify for world championships than it is for the Olympics. Um, so I've had, I've known skaters and play uh, techs, you know, when I was really young and I qualified for world championships, my junior year of high school in the 5k, uh, you know, they were like, you don't like, I didn't realize how special it was mm-hmm. to be there. You know, I was just like, you know, whatever I qualified. And they were just like, well, it's actually harder to get into world championships than it is to get into the Olympics. So like, you know, this is very impressive and you're only 16. So it was all, uh, that was kind of like my eye opening experience. Like, okay, well, you know, I could probably make it, but in the back of my mind, I was always like, I'm going to make the, you know, once I started to compete in the high level skating, I was like, I, I need to compete at the Olympics. Like I really want to know what that feels like. I, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in skating, you meet a lot of Olympians and I was just thought they were, that was the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like Shawnee or JP Kepgard, uh, you know, anyone who hangs around the Pettit, Bonnie Blair, Dan, uh, Dave Cruikshank, all those guys, like, they're around and they'll talk to you. They'll see all these things and you're like, wow, well, you know, Bonnie Blair just talked to me and she's got, you know, I'm 12 years old and she talked to me and she's got five gold medals and a bronze mm-hmm. medal, you know. So when you're that young growing up in the sport, you just wow. see all these Olympians and you really, like, that's what I wanted to do. And so you set your sights pretty early on the Olympics, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was kind of just one of those things where you're growing in the sport and you're growing and you're growing and you're always kind of wondering what's next, what's mm-hmm. ne- like, what's the next step to take, what's the next step to take. And then eventually, you know, you get to the point where it's like, okay, well, Olympic trials start next week and see what happens. <laughs> Let's check it out. So um, a couple questions off, off everything that you've pretty much told us so far. So what is it about, is it, is it a speed skating thing? Is it just the, the specificity of the sport? Why are the world championships more difficult to qualify for than the Olympics? Because, again, you know, me coming as someone that, yeah, unfortunately, speed skating isn't really publicized yeah. on those off years. So what is it about it that makes the world championships much more uh, difficult to qualify for? Um, it's really just um... – about the amount of people they let skate in. So okay. for my race, for the 5K, they now only let top 20 in the world skate at world championships. And at the Olympics, it's top 24. Mm-hmm. And then in the 10K, it's only like top 16 at world championships and only top 12 skate at the Olympics. So I think it's, for most races, it's like about roughly four more spots mm-hmm. at world, which isn't huge, but if you knew the stress no, of all absolutely. the qualifying, it's, you know, it's, you know, the difference between, you know, for a 500, especially, which is the shortest race, the difference between, you know, qualifying and not qualifying could be a hundredth where, you know, in my case, I was made under the, I was on the reserve list going into the uh, 5k, but, you know, uh, but I ended, I ended up getting in, but mm-hmm. um, qualification wise, I think I was like 26 and I was only, you know, about a few, I think, a tenth a lap off mm-hmm. the guy the guy who qual- got the last spot to qualify in the olympics mm-hmm. so 
Um, that was, uh, it's gotten, even over the last four years, it's gotten, especially in long distance skating, it's gotten very competitive. And so it's gotten a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so like my time, just for a reference. So in, uh, 2013 for world championships, I skated a 627 and that got me into world championships, which is at that time was top 28. So it was a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, or I'm sorry, it was top 24 at world championships. So then for the Olympics, it was top 28. And to qualify for that Olympics, I was ranked 16th with a 619. So already, you know, a huge drop. And then this past Olympics, I was ranked 26. I skated two seconds faster. I skated six. The other one was a, pretty much a 620. This one was a 618. So I skated over the last five years, we've been getting faster and faster. But, you know, the level mm-hmm. of competition is getting mm-hmm. faster and faster. Yeah. So, And does that, does that excite you? Like, obviously, as a competitor, you want to win. And obviously, competition breeds excellence. I've, I, I truly believe in that. So does that, like, excite you knowing that the speed skating community is growing? The, the athletes that are coming into it are more uh, competitive. They're, they're better at what they're doing. I mean, obviously, when you have an influx of people, everyone has to, you know, a rising tide, something, something boats. I don't remember the exact quote, but, um, does that, does that something like that excite you knowing that even though you're getting faster, you might actually be losing ground on the pack. I mean, obviously not that part, but the, the competition part and the, the community. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's definitely good. I mean, the level of competition and distance skating, like if you watch a long distance race, the reason it's not so popular, I think is because, well, one day do the drawings randomly and, you know, groupings, they'll put six, a hat, uh, names in a hat and they'll pick them. And that's how you paired with you skate two at a time in long track. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the times long, long distance is boring is cause it's so long. And if there's, you know, a 10th per lap or even a half second lap difference between you and your pair, then, you know, they're going to finish, you know, a quarter lap ahead of you. So it's kind of boring to watch. Whereas mm-hmm. the sprints, it's very exciting. Cause it's, you know, 34, 35 seconds of two guys who are generally head to head but they'll finish, you know, they could finish a half second apart, but since the distance is so short, then mm-hmm. they're so in long track, it's good that now that a lot of the better skaters or like the top pack is kind of condensing so that more and more people will be paired, which I think will be good for the sport and also good for the distance aspect of the sport where mm-hmm. it'll be more interesting to watch, you know, what's more interesting to watch, you know, like two guys like Tyson Gay and Usain Bolt running head to head or, you know, just Tyson Gay all by himself, just, you know, mm-hmm. um, running out on his own, you know, you don't have anyone to compare him to. So that's the way I look at that. So no. yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it because it gives me more of an opportunity to, you know, everyone could be getting faster, but the, you know, the fastest of the fast aren't getting much faster. They're still getting faster, but not by a whole lot, mm-hmm. not by the rate, the rest of everyone's kind of catching up to them, which is good. So like the top times are generally staying the same, but hopefully everyone can all catch up and just be at closer in that top level, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool, man. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm definitely, definitely excited that you brought that up and I got to learn a little bit more because yeah, it's like, I mean, I watch speed skating during the Olympics every four mm-hmm. years. I watch it like it's awesome. It's incredible. I mean, as, as you were saying, it's, it is definitely more fun to watch the, the sprints and, and, you know, cause there's a few people on the ice at once and they're all just 
going crazy and there's this and there's that. Um, but I watch the long ones too. I mean, it's interesting. It's usually like a nice little stroll in the beginning and towards the end, it starts to get more, um, more, uh, more exciting. So it's definitely something fun to watch. So, um, I've watched you a couple of times now. So I think it's pretty cool that I get the opportunity to talk to you too. So I do appreciate well, coming on hanging out you. with us for a minute. So, um, so 2014, you went to the Olympic trials and you won, um, in, the, the year prior, it sounds like 2013, you were able to go to the world championship. So it's, it was very understood in your mind, as you were saying before, before we got off on that little tangent, that the Olympics were very much in play. Um, what did that do for your confidence level? Did that add any pressure? Did that give you a big head? Because if 16-year-old Mike was told, hey, man, <laughs> the Olympics and be one of the best in the world at something, dude, I would just, I would have a ball with it. My head would be gigantic. I couldn't walk through the door. Um, so how did, how did that like, how did you affect that? It sounds like your mom probably, I'm assuming it's going to go to, she kept you in line, but you know, I'll let you tell that part of the story. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, definitely my mom and my dad and keeping us in line. I mean, my brother and I have never really been like show off you guys or like, you know, I it definitely gets in my head with all that stuff, but I, I really hate to think about it. I actually like it a lot more being an underdog, you know, knowing in myself that I'm, you know, of course, I'm always going to think of myself as being the best, but mm-hmm. I like personally being the underdog, being off of everybody's radar and, I, you know, surprising myself more than anything, but then surprising other people is always nice. Um, I, I, I do get in my head a lot. I, after the first Olympics, I got a sports psych just because, you know, all that additional pressure because, um, like, kind of what I talked about into motivational speaking and a lot of what I talked about in that is, you know, I came off the Olympics and I still had a junior world championships two weeks later. And so I came off the Olympics, you know, thinking like, okay, well, you know, I just keep eating the Olympics. You know, I was only one of two or three other male juniors who competed at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I can do this, I can win this, but you know, some of that confidence turned a little bit of a cockiness and I ended up, you know, getting third in the all around third in the 5k and underperforming and in the other distances. Um, and so that was a really big wake-up call, but that was also when I really started to get into my head where, you know, I, I, there were, you know, people my age better than me. There are people, you know, with the same level of talent, if not more than me, and I'm going to have to work probably way harder than they, have, they will, you know, to be at the top level. Um, and so, yeah, definitely after the Olympics was the time where there was kind of like a, a little bit of a drought, a little bit of a downward spiral. You know, I got, I got mono. I went to college. I was living on my own. Um, I changed coaches. I, you know, wasn't feeling as confident in my skating. So it was definitely getting in my head in terms of cockiness, but also, you know, getting in my head in terms of, you know, not believing in myself at times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I could, uh, I could totally understand how that might backfire a little bit um, on the, on the confidence slash cocky scale. Um, so let's actually talk about the, the Olympics for a second. You know, what, what was your experience like? Uh, you know, I read enough articles that told me you were the mem- youngest member of the team in 2014. I mean, what was that like um, being able to talk to some of these other athletes, get to interact with them, see how they do certain things and, and just really just be able to soak in that moment. Cause again, you're 17 years old how much real, like, I look back on things that happened at 17 now, and I'm just like, I was an idiot. Like, I didn't realize exactly what I had in front of me at all. So I'm not calling you an idiot by any stretch of the means, don't worry. But like, what did you, how did you feel about the situation? What were some of the experience and emotions you were able to feel? Um, <clears throat> well, it was definitely like, I definitely looking back on it did not take full advantage of the opportunity. Um, you know, I was, I think, so nervous about doing well 
that, you know, I had a, at the time I had a very strict coach and he was very uh, tough and he was kind of an egomaniac and very controlling. And so pretty much that first Olympics while I was there, I was, you know, in my room doing homework, you know, I raced a few days after opening ceremonies and he, you know, did not let me march, you know, refused to let me march in opening ceremony. So I feel like that whole first Olympic experience was, I was kind of that 17 year old kid, but I was also kind of like the baby of the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next closest guy, like my age on the U S speed skating team was 23. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, you know, I was very close to them, but that's still a six year age gap, you know, yeah, that's you know, I, I don't, I'm 22 now and I can't say that I, you know, want to hang out with, you know, 17 year olds, you know? <laughs> so like, I get it. I understand it. And, you know, so I was definitely like the shy kid, quiet. Um, I was really like, loved meeting people. Everyone was blown away that I was 17, which was awesome. Um, but for the most part, it was just, you know, there to get business done. I was focusing on not only that, but you know, a lot of people like this Olympics, I was done. Olympics is my last competition of the year. So I was, you know, once my race was done, I could see my family. I could go watch other events, I could, you know, do whatever I wanted. But after the last Olympics, like I said, I had junior worlds after. So, you know, there was no, you know, relief of, oh, I just skated in my first Olympics. That was amazing. It was always, okay, I just skated that race. But, you know, I've skated 5K, you know, six or seven other times this year. So now I just got to prepare for my 10K. And then after my 10K, it was, sorry. After my 10K, it was, you know, I got to prepare for Junior Worlds. So um, I definitely don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think that in 2018, I recognized that and realized that, you know, it was a missed opportunity and definitely took more advantage of, you know, being friendly or meeting new people, going out of my way, you know, kind of going out of my comfort zone. I, there was actually one of the masseuses for Team USA was a chemical engineer and I'm studying civil engineering. So I was kind of talking to him about, you know, I have to take my FE exam once I graduate to, you know, be an engineer. So he was giving me all this advice and all that stuff. And so I think I definitely got out of my comfort zone, met a lot more people, had more fun the second time around. But obviously the first time around, I did a little better. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bittersweet. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's such an experience that, you know, obviously me listening 99% of the people listening aren't really able to have. Um, and that's why I really do enjoy being able to talk to Olympic athletes and just hearing and, you know, everyone's experience because every single one's different. Um, and, and they're all, you know, pretty, pretty cool stories. And, and so knowing that the first time around, you maybe didn't get exactly what you wanted out of it or get what you expected or get what you think you should have did that make the second time around? Did you put emphasis on enjoying yourself more the second time around? Cause obviously you were there to compete. That's end all be all. We understand that. Yeah. But the second time around, was it, Hey, you know, I want to make sure I go out and talk to more people. I want to go out and actually see the place. I want to actually do all these things. Did you try and put emphasis on that? Or did it just kind of happen like that? Because your coach wasn't, um, you know, as you said, the, the, uh, as strict as your, parent. yeah. Um, I would say it was a little bit of both. Um, I think one big difference is I had, you know, Brian was still on the team again. He was 23, but I also had uh, two other, I mean, everyone on the team I became more friendly with as I got older and, you know, more mature and, you know, not a 17 year old kid. So everyone became more friendly, but also I had some really, really close friends make the team with me. And so I was able to hang out with them a lot more and 
you know, I'm a pretty lazy kid, but you know, if my friends are going out to do something, I'm going to mm-hmm. go do it. And so I think that's what most of it was. Um, obviously, you know, leading up to that second games, I was, I was more confident when I was 17 that I would make the Olympic team than I was when I was 21 that I was going to make the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. It was actually probably a hundred times harder the second time around than it was the first. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think I truly realized that, you know, I truly realized that this is something I really need to enjoy. Like it wasn't something where I was 17, you know, it was, everything was a routine. I was told what to do and I was just going to do it. And then, you know, once I got to the Olympics, you know, I was still being told what to do and I was just doing it. Whereas this time around, I was like, well, my coach trusts me a lot more. He has a lot more freedom with me. Like he knows, you know, I'm 21 now. I'm not going to, you know, do anything dumb like I would if I was 17. Um, and so not only was there that trust, but he, my coach understood that it was how much harder and he knew what I went through and he really understood how hard it was for me to make this second team. And so he was, um, not that he said, you know, go do whatever, but he was, he understood how hard it was for me to make the team. I understood how hard it was for me to make the team. So we both had this mutual thing that I was like, okay, well, opening ceremonies is three days before my race. Like I'm going to walk in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, ne- if I, you know, and so it's just stuff like that where it's just like little things that I can, you know, it was one of the coolest things in my life going to opening ceremonies and walking in there. It was, it was so cool. And I wish I would have done it in 2014, but I couldn't. All right. I wasn't allowed to. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I just made sure to, long story short, just made sure to enjoy the experience a lot more the second time around because I think the first time around I took it for granted, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does make sense. I mean, at 17, you have, I mean, of course you're going to make the next Olympics. It's almost like a foregone conclusion to you, I'm assuming at that point. It's like, oh, well, I'm 17 and I made it. Um, you know, male athletes get better in their early to mid twenties. So of course I'm going to make it my next time around. So I can understand that maybe, you know, it's interesting that you said it was that significantly, you know, it was significantly much more harder, much harder, not more harder, <laughs> much harder. Let's talk in English. Um, what, what about it was so much harder to make it in 2018? Was it the level? I mean, obviously it was level competition, but was it, was it something specific? Was there an injury or anything like that? Um, that happened? Um, well, one thing was our nation's top distance skater, Jonathan Cook, retired, and he was mm-hmm. a great training partner. Um, okay. And so that, that was one thing. It was my training partner retired. Um, I left my coach. Um, I had a full, you know, 19-credit engineering course load with five, with 5 8 a.m.s and a full training load for speed skating the year after the Olympics, which is generally – not very, you know, it's four mm-hmm. years out from the next Olympics. It's a while. And so not that there wasn't any motivation, but that was probably the, you know, again, looking back on those years of high school or college, like, I don't know how I did all that. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, at 5, 8 a.m. class all day, trained all afternoon, homework all night, and like in bed. Um, so that was really tough. Um, but also that, so the full course load, um, I ended up, firing my coach and getting a new one, which was, it was, mm-hmm. uh, That's just a, while, yeah. yeah, it took a while. I think we just outgrew each other. And so we, I shouldn't say fire say I left my old coach for a new coach. Um, then I, uh, so then I also got mono my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. So that didn't help. That was, you know, they said three or four months of no training, but then they said you'd be back to normal in six months, but it really took me like, 14 months till till my time you know I was gradually making 
you know, my times, as mm-hmm. soon as I came back, my times were slowed down to when I was, you know, 14 or 15. And then I was kind of clawing my way back. And then all of a sudden I'd get, you know, just have an awful training month or block or whatever. So that pretty much went on the whole year right after mono my, would be the year before the Olympics. Um, and then the Olympic year, it all somehow came together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, you man. know, it was, it was really like, looking back on it like what my coach did with me he you know he only had two years with me one of those years I would you know was still having the effects from mono so not that I wasn't training the four years leading up to the Olympics but mm-hmm. I feel like I really like crammed a lot of training and experience and everything I needed to do to qualify for the Olympics into that season of the Olympics mm-hmm. rather than the four you know like now I'm training I'm doing all this stuff I'm mentally preparing I'm getting better and better as I plan to build the next four years to the next Olympics. Whereas the last four, I feel like the three right after were up and down. And then the last one was, you know, a gradual road up, not very high, but it was still a, you know, gradual mm-hmm. road up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. We always just want to be peaking at the right time. That's what I've been um, hearing from a lot of athletes is because the timetable between games is significantly long. I mean, four years, I mean, you're 22 now that's, I mean, what, a fifth of your life, give or take, somewhere around there, 20% of your life, something like that. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible that you can take that amount of time and figure out exactly what you need to do for the next four years. Obviously, wrenches are going to be thrown. Stuff's going to blow up and be unfortunate. But, um, yeah, man, mono for 14 months, that sounds ridiculous, man. I am obviously yeah, the well, effects of it, but still, well, I mean, yeah, I yeah. the effects of it, obviously. But, I mean, I had it for a short period of time, and it was just, it was just so boring. I mean, that's like the worst part yeah. about it. Like I just couldn't do anything. I was just super bored because I couldn't go out anywhere. I couldn't do anything because I just wanted to sleep all the time, which isn't yeah. terrible. But if you're trying to tra- um, train to be an elite athlete, I'm sure it was a little difficult and a little frustrating on your end. So, um, you know, that's definitely not a, not a fun disease to get when you're. No, not at all. I, uh, I, uh, it was my second time having it actually. Ooh. And, uh, it was it was bad because you know there were days where you'd feel great, you'd feel normal. It was a year after I was diagnosed, and I'd go out on the ice and I'd just be you know super slow. And you're just like, well, am I just slow or is it the mono? And that's really where the the head games kind of start to get in there, and you start to doubt yourself. It's like, is it me? Is it because I'm sick? Is it you know the effects? They said it only lasts six months. You know. All those, all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. How much, how much did that affect your head? But it sounds like it was, it was kind of a, kind of a problem um, at that point in your life, which is unfortunate. And now you're able to move forward. Um, so what, um, what did the prospects look for like 2022? Um, you know, obviously you said you're going to be training. You're going to be 25, 26 at that time, literally prime of your life. Um, at least that's what I've been told by science books. So, I mean, what does it look like? How are, are you excited for it? Um, you know, what do you need to do to get ready, especially with, are you going to finish college in that time? Tell us a little bit about what the next mm-hmm. four years might look like for you. Yeah. So I'm definitely had my set on 2022 or at least training until it or training up mm-hmm. to it. Um, I think so this year I am going to be training for skating, but not competing. So I'll be training. I'm going to try out for the hockey team, the club hockey team at Marquette. Nice. Um, I'm going to take a full course load this fall and this upcoming spring. And then next summer or next season, I will plan on competing in the fall. So I will most likely move abroad for the summer to try and uh, train somewhere with some training partners. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, I'll return to Mar- uh, Milwaukee, perhaps not Marquette, um, and skate and compete all fall. 
and then finish up my last semester in the spring. And then from there I'll be done with college and I could, I could move wherever to skate. Just got to mm-hmm. get through the school and maybe some grad school classes either for those two years mm-hmm. before, you know, the year before and the year of the Olympics or I'll start grad school after. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool, man. Congratulations. That is incredible. Um, I mean, I had a, a tough enough time with just college. Um, I can only imagine what it's like throwing all that extra thing in the mix. It's also funny. I just want to bring up a point. It was talking about how you had what five eight a.m. classes. Um, yeah. You know, a couple. You know, a few years ago. Um, and you know, as you said, looking back on then high school when you had to be in school by like seven forty-five every day or what seven thirty, whatever it was in your you, and then doing everything on after it. I just always think it's funny that like I was incapable of getting up for eight a.m. classes. In college, just yeah, I know it was couldn't do it. But the four years prior, I mean, I was up at six thirty, six o'clock every morning to get to school, and it wasn't a problem. I just think it's funny um, how perceptions and stuff like that changes. So uh, that's that is pretty good. So congratulations, man! That is awesome. The last thing I do want to ask you about is um, I try and bring it up every episode, especially with people that have been to the Olympics before. I think it's extremely important. And really need to get the word out a little bit. So hopefully, it's a nice steady drip, and people really do start to realize it. But the monetary aspects of being an Olympian, but also specifically with speed skating, as you said, speed skating is not really paid attention to for those three years, um, long and short, is really not paid attention to for the three years that the Olympics aren't on. Um, and then you know, once the Olympics come around, people start to pay attention to it a little bit more. So if you could just, I mean, obviously we're not asking you dollar amounts, we're not asking you what you made, um, but just kind of, I guess, talk to that point a little bit and just really giving people an understanding of, A, what's it like to be an Olympic athlete um, and, and the, the gross underpayment you get there, but maybe even specifically within your sport that you've seen, either with people having to drop out, people having to move to other countries, anything along those lines, because really we're not, I don't want to say we, but like, we're not supporting our athletes as much as I personally think we should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the best way to kind of put it into terms is like, so, you know, you look at like the NFL or the big four sports and mm-hmm. all the best athletes in those sports get, or all the athletes in those sports obviously get paid, but then the best athletes in all four of those sports get endorsements. Mm-hmm. So unlike some Olympic, some Olympic sports, have professional leagues, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, some of them do. So, so speed skating has a professional league, but that's in Europe. Um, so that is an option, and they make money. But in terms of U.S. skaters, we, you know, the way sponsorships work is they really only care about you know those top level athletes. But at the end of the day, not all speed skaters are on a salary like mm-hmm. in every other sport. And so, you know, unless you're winning World Cups or consistently finishing the top ten, top fifteen then there's really, or if you have a really good agent or mm-hmm. a connection, nice. it's really tough to get, you know, sponsorships. Um, and so we, we have, we get funding based on how we do at the Olympics, but then obviously, you know, so I'll get funding from the Olympics last season, but because I'm not competing this season, they're probably not going to fund me. So I qualify for funding, but because I'm not competing, I probably won't get it. Um, and then we also get like, and skating there's levels of funding um based on your level so i'm an olympian so you know they'll 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 help me pay for my ice time and everything like that u.s speed skating is really good at you know taking care of you know the high level athletes it's just you know you think we're we're underpaid they're underpaid and so it's just they're not maybe you know they're the organization as a whole sorry i'm Mm -hmm. wording this poorly you're good you're good the organization as a whole doesn't have a lot of money to spend as it is. 
And so, you know, paying for ice times and coaches and stuff like that is, it's tough. You know, we can't get sometimes, you know, we have amazing coaches in the U S but sometimes, you know, it's good to get an outside perspective. A lot of other countries, you know, have been getting Dutch coaches or, you know, Japanese coaches, Chinese coaches, Nor- Nor- Norwegian coaches, um, you know, just sometimes to get a, you know, a different perspective. Cause you know, America as a whole, there's a certain, you know, training or coaching style. And so some of those coaches cost more money. And so there, there's, there's kind of, I'd say our sport as a whole is probably a few, like, how much, how do I put this? We're kind of behind the eight ball for most countries and fun in terms of support um, and stuff like that. But it's also the same problem for, you know, other speed skating countries too. It's not just U.S. speed skating, you know. Other countries have financial problems too and supporting their athletes. So every country is different. So it's not, I would say it's kind of unfair to compare us to, you know, the Dutch who are making, you know, a ton of money. But then again, you know, that's like their most popular sport besides soccer, which, you know, mm-hmm. if you took our second popular sport, you know, they're making a lot of money too. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's tough to kind of judge it from one sport to another. But yeah, there is definitely uh, a lack of funding in the speed skating world. But then again, there's also a lack of popularity. So mm-hmm. kind of go yeah, hand in hand. That definitely goes hand in hand, 100%. And I can understand that. And I'm not saying no offense or anything that you should be a kajillionaire, you shouldn't be a, a multi multi-millionaire. But at the same time, it's, it's just the, the basic necessities that I think that should be cleared by by a bit like you know you you put in an immense amount of time by the age of 21 you put in more work than most people will in their entire lives um and i think that you should be rewarded for that and representing our country i think that you should be rewarded for that that's my personal belief i share that belief with a lot of other people some other people don't believe that and i understand you know we're all allowed to have our own opinions that's not a problem um i just think you know for what you do in in trying and what you try to do for our country on a literal daily basis um you know, there are people that do not do that and get paid handsomely for their jobs. Um, so I think that there is a possibility. And yeah, if we compare ourselves to the Dutch where, you know, this, this is their second, you know, speed skating is their second most popular sport. Obviously, they're going to make more money, as you said. But at the same time, we as a country have a couple more dollars than they do if we're <laughs> being true. honest with ourselves. So there's that sure. side of the argument as well as, again, I'm not asking for you guys to be paid like multi-million dollar athletes, you know, with some of the money that gets slung around in the NFL, the NBA, the MLB. But at the same time, I think that there is, there is, there is a middle ground that we can meet very, very easily um, for all athletes in all of our Olympic sports. Um, so it's, it's frustrating from my point of view and, you know, it is what it is. And, and it's also probably frustrating from your point of view and knowing, well, if I want to be professional in something that I've been doing since the age of nine, you have to move across the pond and, and move away from your family and your girlfriend and, and your friends and all that to go compete. Now I'm sure there's an off season, but you know, that is what it is. It's still try asking someone say, Hey, you know, you go move in a, into a foreign country for eight to nine months out of the year because this is one something that you've been doing for your whole life, you know? So it's, it's, it's yeah. an interesting conversation to have. I just, I like to bring it up and, and, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but I think it's very important that people really do understand from your point of view, what it's like um, to have this kind of struggle. Because again, I don't think that there should be a struggle in my opinion. Um, but Hey, this is the life we lead. This is America, right? Yep. That's it. This is it. Awesome, man. Um, so, you know, congratulations again, Emery Lehman, USA speed skating, um, two time Olympic athlete. Hopefully, you know, we're crossing our fingers for that third time. Hopefully you can also take some time and 
rest and relax a little bit, man. You're in college. Go enjoy yourself. You're 22 years old. I hope you have a good time. I know best four years of my life. So that's all I can say, but um, good stuff. So thank you so much again, Emery. We sincerely do appreciate your time today. Yep. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate talking to you. And there's a lot of things that I, uh, we talked about that I didn't really realize, but uh, glad I got to talk to you about them. Hey, yeah, man. Um, I'm glad that we could, uh, we could, I guess, bring up some topics. That's, that's all I'm trying to do. Yep. Just, just have a nice conversation, ask some questions and, and be here and have a good time. So thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to our athletes today with Emery Lehman. Super cool dude, as you heard, very relaxed, very interesting. He's got a lot going on for such a young guy, so I think it's incredible what he's been able to do so far. So if you guys don't mind, please follow him on all his socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Um, follow me, ourathletes.us. That's at ourathletes.us on Instagram. Michael at ourathletes.us. If you want to email me something, let me know something I could do better. Shoot me an email. Send me a message. Whatever you're going to do, I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, if you also could rate, share, review, subscribe, anything to get this a little bit more publicity because the more that stuff happens, the more our athletes get a little more recognition and I truly believe they deserve it after listening to some of these episodes. I'm sure you agree too. So other than that, guys, thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day. <music>